0: Today's reading comes from Hebrews 4, 1 to 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest Strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. It is my joy this morning to introduce uh, my friend Josh. Josh, many of you know, is a community group leader. Uh, he's a, f- a friend of mine. Uh, he's a Toronto basketball fan. Uh, and, and I'm just excited to introduce Josh to you uh, this morning. Uh, Josh is a part of our community. Many of you know him, so I don't need to spend uh, long here. Uh, but Josh has got to preach to us out of Hebrews 4 this morning, and then next week we'll be in another standalone sermon, and then we'll pick back up our Sermon on the Mount uh, series after that. So let me pray for Josh, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hear God's word this morning. I'm excited about it. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that you, you loved us so much. You did not leave us uh, groping around in the dark, but you have spoken to us. You have revealed yourself to us. Indeed, you've revealed to us that you desire for us a deeper rest. Lord, I pray uh, that this morning as we hear of this rest, uh, that you would, by your spirit, open our eyes to see. That you would give Josh great joy, even in proclaiming it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning.
2: There we go. And thank you, Jake, for the introduction. It's, it is my joy and my privilege to open the word of God with you uh, this morning. The passage we'll be looking at this morning, as you may have noticed, has a lot to say about rest. God's rest. And it's important that you have a solid grasp on what it means to enter God's rest, because everything in the Christian life flows out of God's rest. Rest is where you start, which is totally backwards to any other worldview you might find. Every other religion will tell you, God is out there, and this is what you must do to reach him. There is a ladder that must be climbed, and God, or rest, is on the other side of that. Even secular worldviews. What does consumerism tell you? Uh, Accumulate enough things. uh, Get enough stuff. Secure the right living situation. Then you can rest. Or or the romantic solution maybe, uh, which says find the right relationship, take your marriage to the next level, then you can rest. But Christian rest is exactly the opposite. And and we're going to talk about that and unpack it this morning. I can make you also two promises this morning if I have not already piqued your interest. Uh, The first one, to completely miss this concept of rest coming first, is to completely miss Christianity and to participate in nothing more than religiosity. And two, to consistently fail to enter God's rest in the day-to-day battle to enter God's rest, uh, will leave you constantly burned out. And it will turn your Christian service that is supposed to be about serving God It'll turn it into something that you need to serve you. My, my conviction this morning is that we are a congregation of people who do deeply struggle with how to rest. Uh, certainly, as a society, we struggle with rest. And here are a few examples of why. First, we live in the most fast-paced society of all time. And despite all the technology that, just, that promises it will make our lives easier and more efficient, we live busier lives now than ever before. Convenience is is king and companies actually research your dopamine cycles to maximize the addictiveness of their products just to get you hooked. So it's harder for us now to sit still than ever before. Second, technology means you can generally work from anywhere at any time and we are competing globally more now than ever before. So there's more competition. We've got just the right solution. You can just work more and at any time. And finally, you are constantly bombarded with reminders of what you don't have. Don't miss this. Advertising is not just in ads. Social media and entertainment, which we consume at an alarming rate, is constantly sowing the seeds of discontentment. And we would be foolish to think that it doesn't affect our ability to rest. So our question this morning is this. What hope does the Christian faith hold for a weary and restless world? Our passage this morning is from Hebrews, which was a sermon letter to a group of Christians who were heavily persecuted, and the author is exhorting them, encouraging them to hold fast to their faith. He looks back at the at a failure of the Israelites behind them and says uh, he warns them about the serious danger of failing to enter God's rest. That writer of Hebrews uses part of 95, Psalm 95 to build his argument, and then Psalm 95 itself refers back to Exodus 17, when the Israelites hardened their hearts in the desert. And and the story of those Israelites goes something like this. The Lord miraculously leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. The Israelites then begin to complain and doubt that the Lord will provide for them on their way to the Promised Land. The Exodus was this perfect example of God's salvation in the Old Testament, where God delivers His people in awe-inspiring, supernatural ways. But soon after, the Israelites stop trusting. They go back, they actually long to go back to their slavery in Egypt. And as a result, God in his wrath, as you heard read, swears that the Israelites who rebelled in the desert shall never enter his rest. And yet, in the text this morning, we're also reminded that the promise of entering his rest still stands for us today. And so as we look at at, at our text this morning, we're going to ask three questions. We're going to look at three main points. First, Uh, Two types of rest that the text talks about. Second, on what basis can we enter God's rest? And finally, uh, in the day-to-day battle, how do we enter God's rest? Well, first, uh, the two types of rest. This text shows us that there is a final gospel rest, a final gospel rest that all other rests point to. There is a final gospel rest, and there are all other forms of rest which point to that ultimate rest. See, we need physical, emotional, societal rest. But most importantly, we need gospel rest. All other rest can only serve as types of this ultimate rest that will come at the end of the age. The text tells us that Canaan was one of these types of rest. A very real rest, but something that ultimately pointed beyond itself. Our text reads, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we know that Joshua did lead the wilderness generation of the Israelites into the Promised Land. And though things were not perfect when they got there, they did enjoy a period of relative peace. But we learn there is another rest that God speaks of through David later on, and and we'll come back to that. But first, what, what exactly does Canaan represent? Well, certainly, it's rest from our enemies, rest from political abuse, persecution, being overworked, or put another way, it would have meant physical, emotional, uh, societal rest. The Israelites were being worked harder and harder and harder in hopes that they wouldn't grow any stronger and conquer their Egyptian captors. And as a result, they were heavily oppressed, and Canaan did provide relief from this. But when the Israelites eventually settled in the Promised Land, they didn't stop working, But they could begin to put work in its rightful place alongside a rest. They they actually began to observe the Sabbath. And their Torah, their Bible at the time, laid out a number of specific instructions about how they were to live justly in a way that allowed everyone in their society to rest. That would include the orphan, the widow, the alien, even their animals. If you were to read Old Testament law and contrast it with our modern society, one of the striking differences you'll find is how much the Torah opposes profit-maximizing. From its gleaming laws, you learn that you were not to harvest your fields to the edge. You were to leave some for the poor and the vulnerable. And, and on the seventh year, you were to just let your land rest. Even your land got to rest. So we need to recognize that there is something fundamental in our design that in order for us to flourish, we need to be people content with not maximizing how much we work. Not maximizing the utility of our lives. And, and because we're in Vancouver, I need to say this, but we need to be people content with not maximizing our leisure capacity as well. So before we go on to this rest that all of the rest points to, I don't want you to miss this. Physical, emotional, relation, relational rest, these are good and important things. Uh, they are built into your design and you need them. But if you achieve those things, and you don't have the deep spiritual rest that we're going to talk to uh, next, you will still end up restless. So you might need to rest more. That's maybe one of the takeaways for you this morning. You might need to rest more, like physically. You might need to take a day off. Or your, your life right now might not permit you to rest any more than you do. But either way, you need the second type of rest. And, and the good news is you can have it while you're working, napping, recreating, or anytime. We'll pick back up in the text in verse 7. It says this, Again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his... Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and asserting the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So we know Joshua did lead the Israelites into the promised land. So so what rest is he talking about? He says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And says whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. He then exhorts the congregation more time to enter that rest and reminds them that before God they stand naked and exposed and under judgment. So what does this all mean? How do we put it all together? First, I want to tackle what does it mean for God to rest from His works? And to do that, we'll go to Genesis. Um, In Genesis, for God to rest is for Him to cease work and be satisfied in completed work. Picking up in Genesis 1.31, after God has finished creating. And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. Notice, the the first day after humans were made, which was the sixth day of creation, it was a rest day for them. You start with rest. Rest comes first. You're fueled from being in God's rest. And then picking back up, it says, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So for God to rest then was for him to cease from work and be satisfied in the work that he had completed. It was to say, this is enough. So then what does it mean for us to cease working as God did and and to enter into God's rest? What kind of work is it that we must cease from? And why does he talk about being naked and exposed before God right after? How does that fit in? Well, well, this language of being naked and exposed is key to understanding what he means by us resting from our works. But it assumes something, something of the reader, and, and so we're going to go back to Genesis 3. That's the first time we hear about this language in the Bible. Uh, so this is picking up in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve had first sinned. It says Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord. God walking in the garden in the cool of day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you and he said I heard you I heard the sound of the garden of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat the man says the woman you gave to me To be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So this is what's assumed in Hebrews. And to properly understand our text this morning, we need to quickly unpack this text. See, instead of resting in God's finished work of creation, Adam and Eve rebel. And this text can teach us much about our post-fall condition. Uh, The first thing we learn is that they feel naked and exposed. Exactly the same as in the Hebrews text. And so they try to clothe themselves with fig leaves. Notice, uh, they they create clothes with fig leaves and it was their own work. By their own work, they try to cover themselves. And in the Bible, nakedness is always associated with sin and shame. Next, when when confronted by God, Adam tries blame shifting. Did you notice that? To try to make himself look good. He he again tries to rest in his own work. He, He attempts to justify himself by saying, she made me do it. I'm not the guilty party here. But it doesn't work. And this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible. Isaiah 64 tells us all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Rags we try to use to cover us. See, deep down, we know that we are naked and exposed before the living God. And the Bible tells us that we use our works to try to clothe us. But Isaiah says it's it's totally insufficient. See, there is no earning your way into God's rest. There is no justifying ourselves by our own works. Ephesians 2 makes that incredibly clear. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, We could exchange, uh, enter God's rest through faith for this morning's text. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But yet, since the fall, we have attempted to use our work to cover ourselves to justify ourselves, uh, like the fig leaves that Adam and Eve used to cover themselves after they had sinned. And to come full circle then, this work that we use to cover ourselves, even attempt to justify ourselves, is the work we must cease if we are to enter God's rest. Again, this work that we use to cover ourselves, justify ourselves, is the work we must cease if we are to enter God's rest. See, When we don't cease from that type of work, we carry it into every other aspect of our lives. We carry it into our jobs, our parenting, our leisure, and our relationships. There is a nakedness we are attempting to cover when we do these things. We know, even if only subconsciously, that we are exposed before the living God and we are attempting to justify justify ourselves before Him. Do Do you see that? Do you see that in your own Uh, life it it might be why your your job title is is not just your job title it's actually a part of your identity it's at least part of how you look at yourself and say i'm okay i can live with myself have you ever noticed when you meet somebody who's really proud of what they do they, they basically can't wait to ask you what you do and you know that it's just a way of them they they want you to ask them what they do. And they can tell you. And they're attempting to rest in their work. It's how they find peace with themselves. It's how they find inner rest. And, and if you struggle with this, like I do, you'll know that's why it's so hard for you to receive critical feedback about your work or about your parenting. Because it's, it's not just feedback you're receiving. Get this. It, it's someone attacking your righteousness, your justification your self-worth, what you rest in. And we can certainly do this with more than uh, just our jobs. Don't, don't, don't hear me uh, wrong this morning. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is for you, but, but I would encourage you, for the sake of your own soul's rest, ask the Lord this morning to search your heart and show you what you've been attempting to rest in. And maybe it is your career. Maybe that's what it is. You say, if I can just get to this level then I know I'm all right. I can rest then. If I have a good marriage, maybe, I can rest knowing we're okay. Or, or maybe it's the respect of your peers. That's what you long for. Or, or just, I need to have good vacations, get enough leisure in, live a good life. I can rest knowing I, I made the most of my time. Or maybe it's, it, it, it's just if my kids turn out. That's all I need. I can rest knowing I did a good job and you may even take time off to physically rest you might take a break but you sit there restless because to you to you rest can only be had once you have that thing that you treasure and remember that's the world's approach to rest rest is out there i can't rest until i get it remember but if that happens to you at least you've learned something about the idols of your heart and you can begin to go to war with it I I can assure you, when you do take some time to just be still, your heart will start telling you how it's doing. It'll tell you what it wants to rest in. And and it might be a little bit ugly. Oftentimes, I think this is why we don't want to just physically take a break. We don't want to know what ugliness will surface when we do take a break. It's easier just to stay busy and ignore it. Uh, Oftentimes... uh, you might find that what makes you anxious is what your heart wants to rest in. It wants to rest in that thing, but maybe it's not going particularly well, and so it makes you anxious. So, so this morning, what makes you anxious? You, you might also notice this. But say you take a day off, uh, and you sit down, and you turn the TV on. Uh, you, you might realize very quickly that your heart is in danger of being tempted to rest in other things things other than God you, you notice how every almost every commercial or movie uh, it, it's trying to teach you to rest in something uh, we've all seen this commercial there, there's a, a attractive couple in, in an SUV a cool SUV and they're driving off to some uh, like remote exotic beach they're going to go surfing at, at sunset and it just looks so cool like they're probably it's probably an infinity commercial uh, it just looks awesome but that ad was intended to sow unrest into your heart and tell you you can't possibly find rest until you have this SUV that allows you to have this lifestyle. Or maybe, for you, it's horrible hallmark Christmas movies that, that tell you you can't possibly rest until you have romance in your life like this. You have that kind of a spark, a connection. For me, it's, it's often, uh, I see people with nice hair and I just, oh, <laughs> oof, tough. Anyway, so when we do physically rest, we need to be sure we're resting our souls as well. Listen, all, all the things that I mentioned uh, that we are tempted to rest in, they are good things, except for the Hallmark movies. God made them. But if they form the basis for what you rest in, We've moved into idolatry. And our text tells us that they will leave you exposed before the living God. They will provide no righteousness for you. And in the long run, they will bring you no rest. They will cause you to stress, fret, and worry. See, we need something better to rest in. We need that gospel rest. St. Augustine put it well when he said this. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So some of us will struggle, myself included, with attempting to rest in things other than God. Others will struggle with resting in God's provision. It it might be difficult to believe that He will take care of you day in and day out. Or or perhaps it's a combination of the two. You might doubt that He will provide for you in the way that the commercials drew it up. But we do we, we struggle to rest knowing that God will sustain us. Uh, that He will meet our practical needs. Maybe this morning you, you feel like you're running on little to no energy. You have more commitments uh, than you know what to do with. And you're just struggling to see how He will sustain you. Maybe like the Israelites in the wilderness, you've seen God work a great salvation in your life. But yet you're struggling to see how he'll sustain you. You, you, You've seen him take you out of slavery and begin to rebuild your life, begin to lead you to the promised land, but right now you're overwhelmed. So how do you find rest in the chaos? How, How do you trust that God will sustain you? Well, to answer that, we'll look at our next point, which is, on what basis can we enter God's rest? The good news for us is that after our rebellion, God went back to work to make a way for us to enter his rest. In John 5, Jesus says, My father is working until now, and I am working. So God had more work planned. If we look back in the stories we've been following in Genesis and Exodus, we'll see signs pointing to a work of redemption on our behalf. A work of salvation that would see the goodness of God and the justice of God meet. If you think back to Adam and Eve after the fall, it's not until God, on their behalf, kills an animal and uses the skins to make clothes for them, that they are covered. Remember, they tried to cover themselves with their own works, but it's not until God works on their behalf that they're covered. Don't miss that. The the symbolism is all there, too. The, The penalty for sin is death, and blood was required to cover the guilty party's sin. Moving on, if we, if we look at the wilderness generation who were complaining. Uh, they had no water. God is, God is not going to provide for us. How does God respond? He, he tells Moses to take a rod and strike a rock from which water flows out and the people of God drink and live. Uh, Paul tells us later in the book of Corinthians that this event was pointing forward to what Jesus did on the cross. See, Jesus, the rock of our salvation, was struck with the rod of God's justice. And from him pour out rivers of living water. Living waters of eternal salvation. Jesus says in John that whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, both stories point to Jesus going back to work for our salvation. So that we could rest in this new completed work. When Jesus had died after taking the blow of God's justice on the cross, he rose and ascended to be with the Father. Hebrews 10:10 to 12 says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, every priest before Jesus had to keep working. The priest's work was never finished. It said they had to stand daily. There was no seat in the temple. But Jesus paid for our sins one time. And then he sat down, at the right hand of the God. His work was finished. And that's why on the cross, before he dies, he cries out, It is finished. And now you and me, by faith, can rest in the completed work of Jesus. Amen. So what does that mean? What kind of work can we rest in? Well, let me tell you. Jesus worked perfectly while he was on earth. He always did the will of the Father. He loved God the Father and his neighbor perfectly. He never broke the law, never rebelled. He was always faithful. He always delighted in his Father. He was the only human who could ever look back at his life and truly rest in the work that he accomplished. Because it was perfect. And that's why the Father looks down on him and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And because on the cross, He received what we deserved, we by faith can receive what He deserved. The full, complete, never-ending, unconditional approval and love of the Father. So here is the invitation to you this morning. Cease striving. Rest in the finished work of Christ. To those who rest in the finished work of Christ, the Father looks down on you and says, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. And there is nothing more you need to hear this morning than that. Nothing else will deal with your restlessness. Have faith. Trust that what Jesus did for you was enough. There is nothing you need to do to earn the love of the Father. To attempt to earn anything more than that, any more than what Jesus earned for you is to enroll yourself in slavery. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30, He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. He was gentle with you. Humbly serving you and taking the blow of God's justice so that you could enter God's rest. Notice though, he says, he says, take my yoke. Uh, A yoke was a wooden cross piece that would be fastened over two animals and it was attached to a plow or a cart. Uh, he, He doesn't say, don't worry about anything now that you do for the rest of your life. Take a vacation. Take the rest of your life off. No, he says, learn from me and do the work of my father. Timothy Keller has a a great quote. He says, When the work under the work, speaking of the justifying work, has been satisfied by the Son, all that's left for us to do is serve the work we've been given by the Father. With nothing to earn, we are only to faithfully work in whatever the Father gives us. Friends, do, do you know how much less burdensome your work would be if it was just that? How much less burdensome your parenting would be if, if it was just that there, there was no pressure to earn I think about uh, social circumstances can you can you just think how much less straining social circumstances would be if there was zero pressure pressure for you to convince other people that, that you were a good Christian, a, a good person, someone to be admired, or that you need some sort of payoff from investing in them and then they, they, they you know them benefiting from being around you and and all of your goodness. You could just love people with no need to receive anything in return. And then when you do take time off to just rest, there would be no nagging, restless heart causing you to stew in discontentment. You could rest. So if you trust that God's blood-bought approval is enough for you this morning, can you not trust that He will take care of you? in every other way. Can you not rest knowing that He will provide for you? Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Friends, we, we have no reason to doubt that He will provide for us. We need to preach this to ourselves, reminding ourselves of the benevolent goodness of God. So now, as as we begin to wrap up, let's finally ask, in the day-to-day battle, how do we enter God's rest? I think it's important to note that we, like the Israelites, we, we are on the way to the promised land. We are pilgrims here. The fulfillment of this rest will be consummated when King Jesus returns. Hallelujah. But in the meantime, we are here as pilgrims. Uh, So how do we experience this rest in our day-to-day? A.T. Lincoln, a biblical scholar, puts it this way. He says, Faith brings into present the reality of that which is future, unseen, or heavenly. For that reason, those who have believed are already to enjoy the rest offered in Hebrews 4. See, we live in an inaugurated eschatology, which is a way of saying we live in the here, but not yet. God's rest is here for us today, but it will be fully consummated at Jesus' return. Uh, So the first thing, do expect to be physically, emotionally, and and in many other ways, tired at times in this life. And that might not sound encouraging to you. But there would be nothing worse than if I, I, some young guy, comes up here and tells you, If you are feeling tired, you just need to have more faith. It's just not that simple. However, there is comfort knowing that consummation is coming. There will be a time where you will no longer be exhausted. An everlasting Sabbath is coming. Second, strive to enter into God's rest now. Strive to experience the rest that will come at consummation by faith today. For we who have believed enter that rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. See, we can begin to experience that rest here and now. Those who have believed enter that rest. So so how do you do that? Well, begin by stopping. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I love the way the NASB puts it. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. I would encourage you you to do this. Take, Take some time today, this week. Do this regularly. Just stand before God and be still. Let Him search your heart. Let Him show you what you're attempting to rest in apart from Him. Recognize that whatever that thing is, it won't work. And turn to Jesus. Turn to His finished work of redemption. Enter into His rest. Delight in the freedom that you have in God's rest, where you no longer need to earn. Commune with the Father who delights in you, because He looks at you, and He sees the perfect life of His Son. Let's pray. Father, Your your people desire rest. And we confess that we often look for it in the wrong places. We thank you for the completed work of your Son and ask you to help us trust that his work was sufficient to turn us from slaves into sons and daughters of the Most High God. Help us to cease striving and find our rest in the completed work of your Son.
1: Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver,